about the good re-emerging through tshuva, and yet, even though the good re-emerges through tshuva, the person is nonetheless still considered a rasha. Um, I had to explain to my children the difference between, my older children, what I teach Tanya to, the difference between saying someone is a rasha when we're learning chassidus and saying someone is a rasha when we're speaking in like, you know. <laughs> like, like I said, this person is a rasha. I don't mean like, kind of like, like actually a rasha. Like this person is actually a rasha. A wicked, wicked person. <laughs> okay, um, so the, 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 I think a good way to, to put it is, is like this. Um, tshuva, as I said last week, is the, the resolve to not sin again, right? That decision within one's soul, and one's heart, sincerely, not, not to rebel against Hashem, but to actually obey Him, fulfill the mitzvahs, abstain from those things which are forbidden, right? And of course, there's, there's ways, things to go along with tshuva, um, confession, etc. Um, we spoke about atonement. I want to present the following question. Is tshuva the reason why a person doesn't sin? Or is tshuva how the person does not sin? Right? There's the reason and there's the how. The reason I went to the store was for milk. How I got to the store was I walk because I don't know how to drive. And the store is right next to my house. Okay? So there's the, the, the why and there's the how. Okay? So now I'm faced with temptation, right? I'm not a tzaddik. My animal soul seeks to drive me to become an embodiment of the forces of evil by sinning, whatever the sin might be. And I don't sin, even though I'd sinned in the past. Okay? Now the question is, what role is the tshuva playing? Is the tshuva playing the role of, of why I don't sin or how I don't sin? How. How. Explain. Oh, sorry, I actually misunderstood the question. Think about the milk analogy. How did I get to the store? Legs. Why did I go to the store? Because you needed milk. Okay, so. I have this desire to sin. It's driving me towards sin. I need something to ah. stop it. So why am I stopping the sin versus how am I stopping the sin? What role is the tshuva playing? You're using the why. I think it's obviously excusing the why, right? Why, since I've made this decision not to sin again, right? To return to God, that's why. Mm-hmm. You work through your, your reasons for even doing it in the first place. Uh, that's why I'm not going to sin. But now, but at the end of the day, I have this desire to sin. So how am I going to stop it from actually materializing into behavior? How do I do that? How do I actually stop myself from sinning? You have to understand like the thing that caused you to do it and realize that there's something that you want that's bigger than the thing that you wanted that caused you to... Self-control. Self-control. Okay. Let's, let, I'm not saying you're wrong, but I come back to that. Self-control. Mm-hmm. Yeah? What else? I can be smart about this, right? Sin requires opportunity, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I can do something that's called tshuvas hagedr. Tshuvas hagedr, which means the tshuva of the fence, which means once having done tshuva, I make fences for myself, which means I create barriers that prevent me from encountering the opportunities that facilitate sin, especially the sins that I'm susceptible to. The, 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 the classic example all the Chabad house rabbis like to use, right, is that if you, you, don't, you don't drive past the McDonald's once you decide to start keeping kosher if you really like McDonald's, right, because it just makes it difficult. So take a different route home, right?
So I can use self-control, right? I can just, you know, stop myself. I'm not going to do this. I can change circumstance, right? I can scare myself, right? I can reflect upon the consequences of what I'm doing, what will happen, right? You know, mm-hmm. think about the Gehenim that I'll encounter and undergo if I sin, right? right? I, I, I talk myself out of it through that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which is not the same as self-control. What else could I do not to sin? But I feel the desire. Very good, right? There's something called tshuva samishkal. Tshuva samishkal is like you have a balance. If, if too much of my life is engaged in things that will tend towards unholiness, we'll counterbalance that with engagement in other things. And, right? Because when you're, the person is actively engaged in the positive, there isn't room for the temptation to take such hold on the person. Depends on the person's situation. Okay, I, I don't want to elaborate on these things. They're all very good. What they all mean, though, is that if I don't do these things, I will sin. So let's imagine a person did tshuva. And despite their best planning, they encountered the situation where the opportunity to sin arises. And they're not, and for whatever reason, they're not sufficiently invested in other positive things, so they really, that temptation really takes hold of them. And... They're at a point where either it, the, the desire is intense enough or they're, or, or they're, they're, they're um, what's the word I'm looking for? The reservoir of, of self-control is depleted, right? They've been a long day, been very stressful, right? We've all had that kind of experience, right? And there's an element of, you know, and, and so also the idea of rationally thinking through the consequences not really so, right? At that moment, all of those safeguards, all of those mechanisms, all of those techniques could fail, right? So despite my sincere decision to not sin and putting things in place to ensure that it doesn't happen, right? I could want to drive to the star, store and, you know, the car breaks down. I could want to walk to the store and God forbid, right? You know, I twist my ankle, right? The de- decision to return to Hashem and not sin isn't sufficient. I need these other techniques and tools in order to ensure that it actually happens, to keep the desires of the animal soul in check. And therefore, in principle, if those things are not up to the task in a particular moment, relative to the intensity and strength of the animal soul, what will happen? Despite my tshuva, mm-hmm. I will sin. Does that make sense? If you don't keep what? If I don't keep up all these mechanisms and safeguards. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah? Now, let's use the following... Um, let's use the following analogy. Let's say... Um, A person does something let's use let's, let's use an, an extreme example because unfortunately extreme examples are only going to work God forbid a person leaves their child in the car and the car di- and the child dies from the heat what does that person need to do 
to make sure that they never do that again. That person needs to start reminding really that person. That person who left their child in the car and their child died. Like for the future, not the Yeah. I think everyone does. Yeah. What happens to the person when they undergo that kind of an experience? Trauma. That's right, trauma. What is trauma? It it could... No. The, the, I mean, the trauma itself. Mm-hmm. Like, 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 like you know, trauma is the. It breaks, right? Okay. Now, let's assume a healthy process afterwards of dealing with the trauma, okay, for argument's sake, which okay, we don't want to get into, don't want to get sidetracked in how often that happens, right? So if a person undergoes the, 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 the normal post-traumatic growth, what happens? That becomes a fundamental feature of their psyche at that point. And then what happens? They have another environment. In fact... Quite likely to have this person have the opposite problem, maybe right. Mm-hmm. They have to learn how to not check twenty times when they drive it, when they park the car, when they had no kids in the car, right? They have to learn the opposite, how to regulate that thing, right? How to incorporate that into themselves. Okay, now this is an illustration. It's an analogy, right? Is this the topic of conversation? No. no are we going to okay? And I give other examples, things, but the idea is that when when the the sense of the wrongness of it is something that breaks the person on a fundamental level. Not, in other words, it's not, it's, not, it's not a decision they've made about their future conduct and behavior. Tshuva is not that. Tshuva is that, that, is, is that they can know, as the Ram says, that the ultimate tshuva is where a person can say in an honest way, I'm no longer that person. That the recognition of the, of, 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 of the evil of sin has broken them so that the person they put themselves back together as has, a, has, an, has an almost in, instinctual aversion, an a, 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 a inability to allow themselves to get to that place. Now, people have free will, and could this fade over time? Yes, that, that's, that's beside the point. But it's fundamentally a different kind of tshuva. And it's a tshuva that can only come about when the thing that really bothers the person is the separation from God. When the notion of being cut off and separate from God really renders the person asunder inside, then the decision to return to Hashem and not to sin is not a decision not to sin. It's, a re, it, it's rebuilding your, your self-conception. And so... You're, you're, and so at that point, you don't experience the temptation of the animal soul the same way anymore. You experience it as something very much like what often is described in like religious literature, right? As some kind of like demonic force attacking you rather than you want to do something, you need self-control to stop yourself. It's a very different kind of tshuva. It's a transformative tshuva, right? The Ramam says, what is, what is tshuva shlema? What is holistic, complete tshuva? Is one of a person where God could testify that if this person were the exact same scenario, they wouldn't do it again. Now, what does it mean? That means no matter how intense the desire was and how weak their self-control was and the opportunity is there and there's no extrinsic or ulterior motives not to sin, but nothing other than the sense, I cannot rend myself from God, they can't allow, they, 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 they feel, an inc- they can't allow themselves to do that. 
So at that point, the tshuva is not just the why they're not sinning, in terms of the reason to motivate, it's actually the, the mechanism by which the sin gets stopped. Mm. Just one second. And at that point, this is a different person inside. This is not a change of behavior and direction and conduct. This is a change of, of self-identity, of self-conception, and therefore of how you experience temptation. Okay, so before I let, is, is it clear that the, the two, the, these two chuvas are very different? Right? Chuva, mystery, it's all to sin, you're serious. You, how serious are you? Make rules, fine. And then there's this. There's this chuva where you, 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 you're traumatized by the separation and you return to God. And you're not the same person afterwards. Doesn't mean you don't have an animal soul. Doesn't mean you don't experience temptation. But you experience it very differently. And so you don't need these kinds of safeguards and things and that in order to stop you from sinning. Your sense of being yourself is sufficient. So the sin is like, a, the temptation is like a wave that washes over the rock. You ignore the idea of erosion for a moment. That as strong as the wave is, the rock, just the cliff just stays there. Okay, yes? Um, how could that level of disgust with being disconnected from God be experienced by anyone but it's Saudi? Because that has to do, that, because, because as we're going to learn later on, the godly soul can be manifest without the animal soul being defeated. That's called the vanity. This type of tshuva would take a person into the state of what a benini is. This type of person would be able to say, I am not the kind of person who can sin. Not because I don't experience temptation. And, and we are like this about certain kinds of sins. You know, the average Orthodox Jew is like this when it comes to eating on Yom Kippur. It doesn't matter how hungry you are and how tempted you are. It's like, like it, it's completely alien to even consider breaking Yom Kippur. But that's not because you... No, 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 that's not the result. No, I'm, I'm talking about the after effect. The sense that, right, what I wanted to just describe okay. is like this, as we focus down on the tshuva. You can do tshuva, a person who is a Russian can do tshuva in which way he's no longer a Russia. And they can do tshuva in a way in which they stay a Russian. The difference is, is the tsh- what kind of tshuva is it? Is it a tshuva that is directed towards my actions? What I did was wrong. I recognize it's wrong. I resolve sincerely not to do it again. And now I need all these techniques and mechanisms to make sure that I don't do it again when I'm tempted to do it again. But I haven't confronted me. There's a different type of tshuva, which is I can't be a person who's separate from God. And, and if that's the kind of tshuva, right? And that tshuva is obviously much more intense and much more dramatic. And that's the kind of tshuva that, that brings a person to tears and to joy and all that stuff we talk about, right? The tears of being separate, the joy of knowing that you've returned, all that kind of stuff. That kind of tshuva transforms the person, changes the person, and doesn't mean they don't experience temptation, but it means they experience the temptation differently. And the tshuva itself is the mechanism that prevents the sin. Now, you could have that same being... The sin can't drag you down, not with tshuva, just because your godly soul is manifest in that particular area of your life also, like the example of Yom Kippur. They're not the same. But they're the same in the respect. The average Orthodox Jew does not need a series of techniques and mechanisms and self-control not to eat on Yom Kippur. Now, people are free will. And no matter what state of being you are, you can change, right? This is not... This, so, 
what, what, it doesn't mean you experience this kind of tshuva once and then guaranteed you'll never sin again. What it means is, in order for you to sin again, just like tshuva involved a radical redefinition of self, in order for you to sin again, you would also have to go under a radical redefinition of self. But given who you are now, you could not do it. This person we're learning about has not undergone that kind of tshuva. He's done a tshuva, a tshuva that is accepted by God. He's been forgiven. Hashem will cleanse him 100%. Hashem loves him. But the tshuva is all oriented towards the behavior. Has not, his, the separation, the evil of sin has not traumatized him. And he as a person has not redefined himself by, in his return to God. And therefore, even though he's no longer sinning, it's in practice he's no longer sinning. But when the defense mechanisms go down and the temptation becomes strong enough... We can rest assured, like the back to the village, eventually the village will burn down because of how it's constructed and how it's heated. It's just a matter of time mm-hmm. when the conditions are right. How do you get to the second kind of tshuva? Well, the second kind of tshuva, how you get to it, is the subject of the third section of Kanya called Igeras tshuva. The Alter Rebbe in, in, in Tanya describes the state of living. In other words, this is a, a person is living in this state, state of Russia. We learn three as a person who lives in the state of being a tzaddik. And then chapter 12, we'll learn about what, a, what is the state of the baby. And the rest of the time is, is a description and a guide for how to live in the state where although your godly soul is not defeated the animal soul, it also has not been defeated by the animal soul. Now, you can ask, okay, but I'm not in that state and I don't know how to move from one state to the other. That's why the Altar wrote a third section called the letter of Chuva. Okay? What? Why didn't we learn about this in the other program? In which program? Because I only have so many classes and I was asked to do the chassidus <laughs> of the Yom Tovim. And so I incorporated some of the ideas into how they play out in the Yom Tovim. So we spoke about it in the context of El, in the context of Rosh Hashanah, in the context of this, but we just didn't have, like, I don't have an infinite number of classes. And Mrs. Gestetner, in her great wisdom, decided that Hasidus related to Yom Tavim and the holidays are important, and that wasn't on the schedule, and I should use the class for that. So, if I did. Um, and it's actually very important to notice is that the entire 53 chapters of Tanya, the Alter Rebbe gives no actual guidance to tshuva per se. He will contextualize tshuva, he may basically point here and there, but it's always incidental because tshuva is a radical shifting especially when we talk about tshuva, not in its mere halachic sense of the abstation of sin and the resolve not to do sin anymore, but the actual redefining yourself in terms of Hashem and your return to Hashem and the, the, the change in perspective and the change in emotion and all of that. Um, what the Alter describes is, he describes a state of living. Right? Um, if you wanted to just use the following analogy, there's getting married, there's being married, those are not the same thing, right? Um... How do you get married? I'll, get, I'll tell you three things that are very important for getting married that are not in any way useful for being married, okay? Number one, not knowing the other person very well. Not, I'm saying you shouldn't know them at all, but if you know them too well, everybody has flaws, right? So if you know somebody too well, you're not gonna marry them. Now, that's not an excuse to say you shouldn't know them at all, but that's okay. Number two, Okay, um, a, 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 a sense of unrealistic optimism about the future. 
emphasis on the unrealistic optimism. Okay? Um, and the third thing, the, the third thing which is very important, is a disregard for day-to-day responsibilities. <laughs> Think about it, right? The whole week before the wedding and the Sheva Brachas and the whole like, okay. And that helps create this, you know, social redefinition of the couple, internal redefinition of the couple, right? Okay, now being married. If you're going to have a sexual marriage, you're going to have to actually get to know the dark parts of the other person in the proper way. But like, if you're keeping stuff out, mm. there's a right way to do the wrong way to do this. But, it, but it, um, if, if the way you're trying to be married is by like, not knowing things about the other person, that's going to create a divisiveness that's going to cause the relationship to disintegrate over time. Yeah? What about unrealistic optimism? No, you need to approach much more with a way of Ezu Asher Samech Bechalke. Who is wise? Who is rich? Someone who's satisfied with your life. This is the person. This is who they are. My, my optimism can't be predicated on things that are going to miraculously get better. They're going to miraculously become a different person. But to find joy in who they actually are. Right? Um, and what about day-to-day responsibilities? If you don't incorporate that into the relationship, it's guaranteed to fail apart, right? Now, these are different, right? And there is a shift from the state of getting engaged and getting married in Shava Brachas, which is an important thing to go through, right? To the stage of being married, right? Just using this as an illustration, right? So, tshuva is a different thing than living. There's actually, in Chassid, it speaks about the, the idea that how hard it is to go sometimes from the intensity and the radical experience of you know, the transformative tshuva to something that is much more, relatively speaking, banal as living. Okay. So the altar is saying, there's a person who lives, right? He, once in a while he sins, he does tshuva, he changes, he puts safeguard in place, and it goes for years and years and years, and then he stumbles again and sins and recognizes it's wrong and makes decisions. And but he hasn't addressed the underlying issue is that his very sense of his relationship with Hashem, which stems from the balance between the souls, has not been addressed in his tshuva, and therefore, he has fundamentally retained the state of being a rasha. Even though he did a real tshuva, but it's a real tshuva on the, on the level of the behavior, a real tshuva on the level of the action. It's not a real tshuva of, of himself returning to Hashem. Did, did we say that the second type of tshuva makes a person a bainani? It would make a person a bainani. But when the Alter doesn't describe how you do that tshuva, he describes what the life of the Bainu looks like after the tshuva. Or, you know, maybe, the, or, or independent of tshuva, just what does that life look like? He doesn't describe the transformative process. He describes what does that life look like? How is that life maintained? How does that life grow? Where do those lives, where are the lives pitfalls? How do you avoid them? That kind of thing. Why doesn't he explain it? The, the simple answer um, is that the difference between the names, there are once explained that, that the first section of time is called the book. And the third section is called the letter. A letter is something circumstantial. You send to somebody because they happen to be far away from you. But when they come home, you don't send letters, right? So a letter is a way of compensating for distance. A book means that something is, 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 an, is an important staple, right? It's like we, we, come, you, we put the book on your shelf because you kind of come back to it and you revisit it. So the idea is the author wrote a, wrote a book. He didn't write a letter. When he saw the chassidim also needed a letter. In other words, this is how to live. And a person's like, okay, now I know how to live. But the person's like, what you're describing, I'm so far away from that, I don't know how to get there. Yeah. 
So he says, okay. So for you, I wrote a letter. And, and, and it's important to realize that. And, and the more also you, you become a little more nuanced, which is something that we'll talk about more in a, in a different class, that these levels of tzaddik, rasha, baini, and things, even though they're holistically one or the other, but in small meis, like I said about, say, Yom Kippur, right? There's elements of all of them in every person. So while it may be true, I'm not a baini in order to be a baini, I have to do truth and stuff, but there are ways in which I am baini like, and therefore everything in the book would be relevant to me, even though I don't read the section of truth. So... That's right, but it's not here in the 53 chapters of Tanya. And that, 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 that's, that's an educational decision on his part. Shuvah should not be viewed as part of life. Um, you know, uh, 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 using the marriage analogy, there's a concept in the secular world called renewing your vows. You've heard of this idea? Mm-hmm. Renewing your vows is a very, very non-Jewish thing. For many reasons, but, but, but the reason that would pertain to our discussion is as follows. There's a difference between getting married and being married, right? What are you saying by going through a renewing of vows? What do you say about the marriage? Are you doing it essentially? Like remarrying them? So then... What you had before was... That would only make sense in the context which, which, that what? Divorced. That you divorced. So how can you incorporate that into the marriage? In other words, if a marriage has fallen apart... Then, right, and there was a divorce, then you can get remarried, right? If the marriage has fallen apart, maybe in a psychological sense, it could be a kind of a, a you getting married again, kind of in a psychological sense, right? But the idea of our marriage is going so wonderfully, we want to renew our vows, there, there's, 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 a, there's a lack of awareness. These are two very different things going on, right? That there's a state of living together and being and living a joint life. And there's the, the novelty of taking two independent people and fusing them together. And if, they're, if, if you're together, you're together. And the problems you have in your togetherness are still part of your togetherness. It's not the same thing. And there's a recognition of the differences between these things. And actually has a manifestation in halacha. For the first year after marriage, there are different rules about what the, what the husband's responsibilities for his wife are. Is a husband allowed to go out to war in the first year of marriage? No. Is he allowed to go on a business trip? I'm not getting into whether this is strict halacha or common custom, but I don't get the. But is he allowed to go on a business trip? First year of marriage. Not overnight. Not overnight. He can if he gets his wife permission, but hmm. like there, there's some room for leniency things. But like, yeah. In fact, what about just staying out really late and coming home in the morning? Should be a red flag. Right, that's not a, <laughs> now. Why? What about late night for Brengans? <laughs> no, I'm serious. I, what do you mean? I, I think, now, now, so there's this, right? Now, but on the other hand, there, after that point, there's this, that, that's kind of, the, that, that sense is different. So I, again, I don't want to turn marriage into the analogy. I just think it's something that we can more readily appreciate the reality of these differences, right? And sometimes, look, tshuva is a real thing, but it's a different dynamic, it's a different experience, it's a different issue than what I'm talking about. So when I mention it, I mention it parenthetically in a certain context. That's not what this book is. This book is about the living together, the being, right? What does it look like a person whose life, their animal soul is subjugating the godless soul? It doesn't, preclude doing, it doesn't even preclude doing genuine tshuva. But it does preclude a tshuva which radically transforms the person. Because if they did that kind of tshuva, they would no longer be a rasha. And then when he describes a bane, he doesn't describe how did the rasha do tshuva. He describes this is what this life looks like and this is how this life's dynamics and pitfalls and struggles 
because it's, 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 you know, to use one other example, maintenance is something that we don't pay enough attention to. They build a bridge. Do they need to maintain the bridge? Mm-hmm. Yeah? Maintain the roads, right? Building the bridge is like a big thing. We build the bridge, right? But you need to maintain the bridge. Otherwise, people will collapse and die, right? So the author of his book here about, about things is, okay, there's this life, which is somewhat unattainable, although we haven't got to that point yet. There's this life, which is clearly not desirable. And there's this life, which is attainable and desirable, and this is what we should, you know, try to expect ourselves. Okay, but this life is complex. It has its pitfalls. It has its issues. And I'm writing a book about how to live this life. You say, I don't even know how to get there. Okay, fine. That's a valid, that's a valid point. But that's a separate topic. It's like when you're in a halacha class and someone's saying, but I don't know if I believe I should keep halacha. Like, good point. But that's not, that's not the topic. The class is, presuming you want to know how to make tea on Shabbos, this is how you're allowed to do it, right? We have to kind of, it's a very important when, in educating a person and a person who's educating themselves to know what is the issue I'm dealing with and what is not the issue I'm dealing with. And so Alter did that by writing this book. And then separately, when seeing the chassidim needed something in addition, writing a separate thing, a letter. Good? So he, he only describes the, the second type of tshuva in this part? He doesn't describe the second type of tshuva. That, that, that's, okay. that, 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 Tanya's written and presupposing a person's well-versed in Jewish literature. They, 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 he, he's written assuming you've learned the Ram's laws of tshuva and you've, you know these types of things. He, he's not, the, the Tanya's not written in a vacuum. That's one of the reasons why the class is taking so long because I'm trying to explain things. Some of these things are just background. And, you know, the great scholars that the Alter Rebbe wrote the Tanya and gave to had background to things that we don't know. We just have that same background. Okay, so we have discussed the Russia on the highest in, in, in manifestation. Now we're going to look at the Russia, but it's still the Russia of Atayvah, the Russia who they're still good, meaning Godly soul is still manifest in some way, even though it's subjugated, but in its lowest possible manifestation. Which one are you? <laughs> what? No, it's not a personal question. It's not a personal question. I'm gonna, which one are you? You're, I, well, you're sure Rosh Hashanah Which one are you? Going to be the highest level or the lowest level? Is there a middle? There is. <laughs> you are. This is what I, this is what I want to realize is that the altar is pointing out the extremes. What are the boundary conditions? What is the highest state where the godly soul is going to be manifest and yet still it's being subjugated? And then we're going to look at the lowest possible state a person being and yet there's still some experience and manifestation of the godly soul. None of us are in either of those two places, okay? How do you know? Because you're sitting here. That's how I know. What? No. What's read? We'll see. There is also a person in whom the wickedness prevails more strongly, and all three garments of evil clothe themselves in him. Okay, so that already might I might sin not just in thought, speech, or action, but in all three. Causing it more heinous and more frequent sins. But intermittently he suffers remorse and thoughts of repentance enters his mind from the quality of good that is in his soul that gathers and strengthens now and then. However, so, so far, like this is relatable, right? Do you just sin in one area or do you sin in all areas? Again, I'm not asking for the specifics. Have you, do you have sinful thoughts? Do you engage in sinful speech? Do you do sinful actions? And occasionally there are even serious sins, sins that are not like publicly acceptable sins, like a little Lush and Hari, Lush and Hari. Sometimes they're really big ones that you don't want anyone to know about. Occasionally, right? Okay. However, and then you regret it and you feel bad about it, yeah? Okay. 
This person has not enough strength to vanquish the evil so as to rid himself entirely of his sins and to be as one who confesses and abandons his evil ways once and for all. In other words, this person never succeeds in doing tshuva. Not transformative tshuva. Can never get to the point where they can say, I'm not going to do this anymore. And then they actually stop themselves from doing it for however long. Because remember, we said the last time we started talking about tshuva, the, how long the tshuva lasts is independent of whether or not the tshuva actually is happening, right? Mm-hmm. So there's a person, they, they sin in all three of their garments. They don't just sin with minor ones, they sin with major sins. They sin not just with major sins once in a while, but maybe even frequently. But the real kicker is, even though they feel regret, even though they feel remorse, which we'll talk about, that never translates into the ability to make a decision. In other words, we put it in different, in different words, they feel helpless. They feel like not this is wrong, I'm not going to do it anymore. This is wrong and I'm cursed and I'm, and I'm fated to just keep falling in the same pit over and over again. And I wish it wasn't that way and I'm resentful that it's that way and I don't like to think about the fact that it's that way but they feel trapped by that. Now, I might have to say this in some areas, certain things, but to have this, to, to never have tshuva ever, and think about how low a person is, right? Because remember, tshuva is actually one of the easiest mitzvahs to do. Right? You do something wrong, you recognize it's wrong, you decide you're not going to do it again, you know realistically that this is not the most lasting resolution, but for the next five, ten minutes, hour, day, it, it really does last. You did tshuva. This person can't do that. They feel so trapped. They never get to that place. They feel like a victim of the Yitzhahara. So where's the godly soul? The godly soul is at least they feel like a victim. <laughs> at least they, re- they feel regret. At least they, they wish they could do tshuva. At least they're interacting with it. Yeah, they have a, some sense. I wish it was different. Mm-hmm. They, they're in a dark room and they know it's dark and they don't like it. But they don't know how to get out. Mm-hmm. Now, again, I might have this and some here, some there, but like to say that there's no place where a person, that's a pretty low thing. And yet this person is still considered to be a Russia for typhoid. There's still good that is manifest by the fact that they feel this remorse, this regret towards the sin. Okay. Concerning such a person, the rabbis of blessed memory have said, the wicked are full of remorse. These represent the majority of the wicked in whose soul still lingers some good. Notice, most people who are really bad people, like when he says the wicked, he doesn't mean like we're all Rishonim. He means people that are like wicked. They're bad. They're sinful. When they're called down on it, they, they double down. They keep doing it, right? Really bad people. Yet, if you go into their heart of hearts, usually what will you find? Regret. Good. That good is manifest as a sense of regret, a sense of remorse, a sense of wishing they could wave a magic wand and this would all disappear, but they don't know how, they don't know can, and that's too painful to think about. So the godly light is still shining. You still have a sense of light if you know that it's dark. Okay? So there's still room for the godly soul. Now, does that mean the person always frames that remorse and regret in the religious context. No, right? In other words, this is experiential, okay? You ever see Pinocchio? Mm -hmm. Okay. 
So I'm not telling you that Pinocchio is like the end all and be all of like moral teachings or anything. But in Pinocchio, right, there's Pinocchio wants to, you know, the puppet wants to be a boy, right? And then there's the cricket. What's the cricket's name? Jiminy Cricket, Jiminy Cricket, Jiminy Cricket, at least in the Disney version, right? It's supposed to be his, his conscience, right? And so, the, and so one of the things that you see, right, very interestingly, if you go through the whole thing, at what point he, he so, like, there's, this, there's a lot of interesting things going on, but one of the things that happens in Pinocchio is that, that um, he doesn't listen to, the, to, to Jiminy Cricket. Now he does not listen to Jiminy Cricket. He also tries to run away from Jiminy Cricket and escape Jiminy Cricket. He doesn't want Jiminy Cricket around for a certain points. When does Jiminy Cricket give up on Pinocchio, though? Everybody knows the story. Oh, that's it. This guy's hopeless. I'm done. That doesn't happen. Right? So you could have a person who's ignoring the sense in themselves this is wrong. They're ignoring it. They're running away from it. They don't want to think about it. It's too painful. But yet... The godly soul is not completely subdued. And it might just be experienced as pangs of guilt and a sense of conscience and nothing else. But it's still there. It hasn't vanished. It hasn't run away. So what's very interesting now, I want you to stop and think about this. We have two people which, with you don't learn this section of Tanya, we would think are radically different. I have a person who once every few years slips up in some minor transgression, at least, you know, as, as people relate to it, immediately afterwards feels that this is wrong, resolves sincerely not to do it, takes steps to make sure that doesn't happen, genuinely asks for forgiveness, and is forgiven by God, right? And you have a person who commits every avera there is, feels like there's no hope for them to stop. And the only thing redeeming about them is that in their heart of hearts, they still feel guilty about it. And, if there, and, and there are moments of time where they wish that they could just wish, wave it all away. Do these people sound remotely the same? But that says, eh, same issue. You're, the same, you're suffering from the same disease. <laughs> Symptoms are different. It's the same disease. What's the disease? Your godly soul is not strong enough to feed enough. Your godly soul, not strong enough, the godly soul is always strong enough. The godly soul has allowed the animal soul to dominate it. That's it. The domination looks very different. The subjugation looks very different, right? The prison cell is a very different prison cell. But in both cases, the godly soul has raised the white flag and allowed the animal soul to take charge. So they're suffering from the same problem. Now, I want to stop at this point and let's think. What should that do to the way I think about myself relative to other people? Relative to other Jews? I'm a rabbi, I'm knowledgeable, I do tar mitzvahs. Yeah, you fill in the blanks, wherever you are. How should I feel? Like, the issue is the same issue. That what this means is that, that the Alter Rebbe is trying to go to a deeper place than we're usually comfortable with. There's a, there's a very superficial place where the question is, are you doing the right thing or doing the wrong thing, right? That's a very superficial Judaism, right? Are you doing, checking off, you do the right thing, you're doing the wrong thing, right? There's a deeper question, right, which is, what are your motivations and where you're coming from, right? 
But then there's some deeper questions to which is at the end of the day, which soul? It, 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 is the godly soul being dominated or is the godly soul free? And we say that chassidus is, is, is deep, we mean that. Chassidus is not deep because it deals with things going on inside. Um, someone, I'll be honest with you, my first time having this experience. Are you guys familiar with the concept called Musar? So this is my, someone shared with me a, a, a Musar shmuz, an actual, um, someone giving over a class of Musar. Now, this is my first time actually listening to a, a real Musar shmuz. Because a lot of what passes as a Musar Shmuz is not really a Musar Shmuz in the traditional classic sense. Like a lot of teaching Chassidus is not teaching Chassidus in the classic sense. Like sometimes you have a go to a Chassidus class, right? There's a lot of uh, pop psychology. and like You do stuff because you want to engage people, right? There's a lot of, you know, form and making things appealing, right? But if you were to like go back, like the traditional, what, 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 you know, what, what, is, what does it sound like? So I've read descriptions of what it sounds like. I've read books of Musar. But this is the first time I've actually listened <laughs> Guy talking for a half hour to a bunch of serious yeshiva students, I think maybe guys in a kailo, and giving them Musr shmuz. And just Musr. Um, and it, it was very interesting. So like one of the things that was very noticeable is that there was, there was no, well, so there was no light. There was no, there was no sense we're aspiring to something lofty. There was very much an engagement of there's a problem and we need to deal with the problem. And we can't. We have to. We have to take responsibility for facing the problem and overcoming the problem and dealing with the problem. And like, it's very much about engaging the dark corners of a person and not pretending they don't exist and engaging. But it was, and and it dealt with like very, very you know deep issues in a person. But the deep issues in a person, at the end of the day, had to do with safeguarding the person from sin. And being honest about the, our temptations to sin, and being honest, and it was a whole thing. It was, and it was very good. I liked it very much. I was very like. I mean, I I, I personally think that, that I first from from learning, but I think I've seen from experience. But the, the more you experience of different things, the more you can appreciate everything um, within you know the whole framework of what's allowed to experience, right? Uh, go off and sin. Um, it gave me a deeper appreciation for Chassidus, and not just because oh we're better than that. It's just it's a whole it was a whole thing. But the notion that. There's a the notion that there's something holy in the person, and that holy thing has been subjugated. Just was not, not just not addressed. There was no. There was like it would have sounded like it would have sounded like someone just like brought an elephant into the base madrash. It was like it was like no place. And what is the Alter Rebbe doing? Is saying I know even all that stuff is true, and don't tell me that the the, the higher level tzaddik. The high level rush and lower levels are the same person. One person is a big rabbi, he's a leader of his community, he has tremendous merits, he's, a, he's, 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 a, he's a, an amazing person, we can all look up to and admire. And the other person is a low life, is a criminal. Is... These are not the same, but if you go to the deepest, deepest level, they both suffer from the same underlying issue, which is their animal soul is not allowing the godly soul to be free. And you go one step deeper, it's the godly soul is not doing what it needs to do in order to be free. And so, it's, you can go deep and you can go deeper. You can say, oh, this person does more misses, this person does more, less misses. This person does more of errors, this person does less of errors. But you can go deeper, why? Why? This person has achieved the mastery of self. This person has a degree of honesty with himself. This person has a sense of purpose and morality. They take their, right? And this person, 
has rejected the importance of working hard. This is a person has given up a sense of their own personal agency. This person is impulsive. Right? These are not, these are clearly very different. And I'm saying that's true. And I'm not going to deny that. I don't want to talk about one step deeper. Even if you solve all those problems, you haven't dealt with the underlying fundamental issue that the godly soul is not doing what it needs to do to be free. It's been subjugated. Because it's talking about that issue. But Musr is also deep. It's just not as deep. So it's kind of silly to like... Like, Valkyrie talks about two people on the opposite ends of the spectrum and says, we're going to put them in the same category. That only makes sense if you appreciate the issue Valkyrie wants to talk about, that Chassidus wants to deal with. If you're, if you're talking about like who's a good person, who's a bad person, in any conventional sense, these people don't belong in the same category at all. Mm-hmm. Not remotely. I, you look, read the, 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 don't you, you know, as, as a human being who has any sort of integrity, don't you wish you were the kind of person who once in a while slips up in something minor, recognizes your mistake, takes it seriously, makes resolves to change, and then takes the actual steps to change their behavior and introduce things to make sure it doesn't happen again? Mm-hmm. And then it doesn't happen again for extended periods of time? Wouldn't you love to be that person? Right? The says, it's an amazing thing as a person. But as a godly soul, the godly soul is still in exile. Yeah. So, the thing about some sins are worse than others, and you see that because of the level of punishment you get, that's just irrelevant here. Like, it doesn't matter what sin it is. For, for the issue we're dealing with here, it doesn't matter. Right. Mm-hmm. Now. What we're saying is, we said that Nefesh like kiss allowed the Nefesh Alamis to take control. Right, that was what I was speaking about in a previous class, that it's not really the animal soul overpowers the godly soul. Because really the godly soul is objectively more powerful. Right, so what was the deeper part of that? Is that the animal, godly soul is not doing whatever it needs to do in order to stand up for itself. Well, that comes down to the person's choice. If you want to, to embrace your godly soul and stand up, then you can. We'll get to that later. So... Like, the, I think, the, the, like, chapter 11 is, in fact, I think one of the most transformative chapters in really how we think about things. There's a danger, which is, the danger is, I can, I can ignore everything other than the level that the altar was talking about. Is it true that the only thing that matters in life, the only thing I should ever pay attention to, is whether my animal soul is subject to my godless soul or not? And once it's subjugating, it doesn't matter? No, that's not true, right? In other words, there's a, there's a, there's, there's a way in which the Yetzirah, the evil inclination, come and twist this and say, well, the loftiest person still is in, being controlled by their animal soul because the godly soul is not, is, is, is not fighting back. And the worst sinner, as long as he's got a little bit of remorse, his godly soul is still manifest. So which difference does it make? It makes a huge difference in life. A huge difference in life. All the altar is saying is that does, it's not, that's not the whole picture. That there's something, even if, you, even if you move to the higher end of that spectrum, there's still something even more fundamental you haven't addressed. But not, God forbid, to say, eh, you can be a low life and you can be a refined person and it doesn't matter because at the end of the day it's not your godly soul. You're not obeying me. Like, that's, that's not the right way to take it. The right way to take it is that you need to have that maturity, which is arguably why is this information relevant to children? Should you be teaching this to children? Take a 10-year-old, an 8-year-old. That, 
I mean, you could, you could take the ideas and, 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 and change them into other things. But, and you see when the Rebbe spoke to children, the Rebbe did not speak this. They spoke about the Yovet Yitzhahara that gets you to sin. You have to sin less as opposed to sinning more, right? It's a type, in other words, there's a way in which a person has to kind of grow. Now, once you're an adult, there's an interesting thing about Torah study. Men are required to study the whole Torah. Um, that requirement starts from when? Do you know when men are required to start studying Torah, know the whole Torah? As soon as they can speak. Now, there's a discussion. Is it their obligations, their father's obligations, or the father's obligation? Before they start to speak, okay? So you speak, you start teaching them to say words of Torah. When they can start learning, you start teaching them Chumash at age five. Ten, you start, you start learning Mishnah. Fifteen, Gemara. Okay. So there's different sections, age appropriate. What happens if a person never learned Torah and they're an adult? Should they spread five years with, with Chumash and then another five years after that with Mishnah? Is that how you do it? Mm-hmm. No, what do you do? You have, to split, you have to work on all fronts at once. So similarly, there's a, there's a, there's a progression, okay? When a child is very little, what is, the, what is the education of a child according to the Torah? What are you trying to educate them? This is right, this is wrong, that's it. What behaviors they should and shouldn't be doing? Once they get a little bit older, when, at what point do you start that? You know? when, when do you start telling them this is right, this is wrong? From when they're very little. From when they're able to understand the instruction, no. Which is between one and two. So a little one-year-old t- goes to touch the light on Shabbos. You say, no, Shabbos. That's it. And they pick that up. Like my, I have a kid who just turned two. And he, like, he, like un- has some sense, like, there's Shabbos and Muksa. And, like, not clearly laid out, but, you know. He has a sense of which things belong to which people, right? Kids, okay. Then they're starting to understand of the idea of actually engaging in self-control, right? I know you wanted to take the candy from your sister, but you are not allowed to. You have to learn to control yourself. I know you were angry and wanted to hit your brother, but you have to, right? The idea that you have to fight your Yetzirah, right? Right? And you have to fight your Yetzirah, and you have, that involves a certain amount of you know, discipline and starting to develop some kind of an emotional self-awareness and all that kind of stuff, right? Then, starting Bar Bas Mitzvah, we can start getting into issues of, you know, little deeper things, how you see yourself, and in that, you can start introducing. But if a person, you know, at age 25 starts this whole process, you don't, like, faster when the master mess the next. You have to engage on all fronts. And so, yes, a person needs to engage in how do I make my godly soul free and not be subjugated to the animal soul and not be a Russia. But at the same time, maybe I should make decisions about not sinning and make some practical steps to stop sinning and some practical steps to develop some nice human decency to other people independent of that. You know what I'm saying? Like, I have to be able to have the maturity to realize there's a fundamental existential religious issue, you know, the, the state of the two souls, and that's extremely important. But that, has, that takes place in the context of a person. There's a very big difference between a person who's a, who's, a, who's a pious, God-fearing person who nonetheless, their godly soul is imprisoned, and a person who's, who's, who's a wicked criminal. Those are not the same. And at the same time, on a deep existential level, they're both the same because they're symptomatic of some fundamental underlying problem with the soul. Okay, so I have to operate on multiple fronts. And the danger is when a person flattens that, when either they want to turn chassidus into the dealing with the deep things, like on the level of Musr, 
and not acknowledging the fundamental problem of the soul, or reverse, saying those problems of the soul is the only thing I'm focused on, and I'm going to completely just let myself go. Like that's <laughs> doesn't matter how much of a of, of a decrepit person I am, because uh, what do you expect? My, I'm not a bane in it. Like I need to work on, on, on the godliness. No, you need to have these working on both fronts at the same time. And in doing that, we can recognize that in one sense, the righteous, pious person who's not a bane in it, is far from perfect, is still on a loftier level in some respect and should be treated differently, should be looked up to and should be learned from, etc. versus the low life. While at the same time, having the humility to realize that on a fundamental level, we're all suffering from the same issue and not to feel that you're intrinsically any superior to anybody else because you haven't, you haven't mastered this thing of freeing the godly soul from the imprisonment of the animal soul yet. Of course, once you do that, you probably won't feel superior to other people anyway because that's part of the godly soul. Mm-hmm. But that's another topic which we'll, I'll try to discuss this later on. Right, so I think if you really allow this, this, <laughs> this spectrum and how the altar puts like, sometimes you have students, you're like, you mean to tell me, like I have like a, a, a bacher who's like in the yeshiva, like, let's say before he was from, he did exactly the kinds of things that you would expect someone his age would do, right? What do you expect a, a, a not religious, you know, teenage male to, to, to how to live their life, right? It's not exactly the most pious thing in the world. He says, you mean to tell me that me and the, the name of some very famous rabbi who's like very famous and he writes svarim and everybody, you know, but he's not a baby. He's like, you think that me and him were like, when I was like that, and then we're, we're, we're the, the same? It's like, on some level, yes. And on some level, no. And you have to be able to see both sides of that. Um, and the, 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 the kind of, the, the, the the real truth of the chassidus is found in the fact that my heart lies in the place where we're the same. Mm. But I'm not so naive to think that the places where we're different don't matter. Could you say that again? The heart. Where, where do you really care about? What, what really touches you is the place in which I and the low life are the same. Mm-hmm. That my animal soul has subjugated my godly soul. That's what really... I care about. But I'm not so delusional to think the parts in which we're different don't matter and not take that stuff seriously also. But not just knowing that both parts exist, it's also what, what, how you relate to each part. You know? It's like, I, I think taking out the trash matters. Right? I'm just not emotionally invested in that as a central part of my life. So the, the, the chassid is the person that this description of how the highest level and the lowest level are the same, that's what touches him. He's also not delusional. He recognizes that like, there's a difference between a sinner and someone who, who, who really doesn't sin. Someone who does tshuva in a, in a genuine way and is forgiven and then someone who, who, who has allowed themselves to believe the lie that sin is unavoidable and, the best, and, and, and they're just a victim of, of their own tragic circumstances. They're not, they recognize that's different. Mm-hmm. But, but that's not the place that they're emotionally invested in. And then there's some people that know that's what they're emotionally invested in and they might acknowledge that there's some truth in some sort of spiritual sense about the state of the soul but that doesn't speak to them as a driving thing. And, then, and so they might accept the ideas in the chassidus but they don't really, they're not really approaching it in a chassidic way because there's the information and there's the relationship with that information. 
And the person says, yeah, godly soul, it's very nice, very true. My main concern is, am I the kind of person who's going to sin or not sin? And if I can minimize that, that's good enough for me. Hmm. And there are people like that who say, it's very nice, tiny is a very nice thing, I believe, I think it's true. But confronting the fact that, how do I get myself to sin less and to, and to make my tshuva more, and what mechanism I need to use, and, and dealing with that more and more, the, the, that part of the person is what they, they feel resonates with and drives them. There's a, there's a story, somebody who, he was struggling a lot with his Yiddishkeit, and um, he learned Tanya with some very big names in Chabad, different shluchim, and he's just very, having a very hard time. Um, I, think he came from, I think he came from a religious background, and so they told him, go to the Rebbe for Yechidus, for a private audience. I went to the previous parents and the Rebbe told him, you should learn Tanya. He says, I've been learning Tanya with this person, that person, the other person. And so the Rebbe thought and said, and he said, it's not working, it's not good, it doesn't touch me. And so the Rebbe said, so then you should learn Masilis Yashar, which is a classic Musa work. Because, it, 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 like, sometimes like, the, the, the idea of like, who's right, who's wrong, it's like, there's different things different. operating on different levels. Mm. And there's something very beautiful and very rich about saying, this is the issue, that my animal soul subjected my godly soul. But there's also something very real and important about saying like, are you sitting? Are you not sitting? Is your tshuva like a real thing or it's just like some sense of self-pity and remorse? Like those, those, that also matters, right? And, and you can acknowledge both and then say, okay, which one do I find my heart and soul in and which one do I acknowledge is important and deal with accordingly? But, right? And so you have different temperaments and different things. And, I think the more you reflect on, on what Daltabit did by putting these two people in the same category and why they're in the same category and yet how different they really are, um, I think that's very illuminating in all these different ways. Tomorrow, God willing, we're going to finish the chapter we'll learn about the, the rush of Raleigh, the Russia who is wicked to him, evil to him. Russia Gama, complete Russia. Um, and the idea of the godly soul departing but not truly departing. It's about that. Um, and then, God willing, after the break, we will start chapter 12. What? Well, the thing is, the thing is, it's so much of what 